0: Our scripture for this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 7, verses 23 through 34. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled. He fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. Holy ground I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free Now come and I will send you back to Egypt This is God's word for us
1: Thank you Don and good morning everyone Welcome this morning to Bethany, thanks for joining us on a beautiful day. Let's take a moment, we'll pray, and then we'll consider what God has to say through this text, please pray with me. Father, thank you that we can gather within these walls to quiet our hearts, listen for your voice, be reminded through the presence of one another, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, that you are inviting us, not only to know personal transformation, but to shine as light in our world. We're mindful evermore that our world is in darkness. Make us people of hope, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. So we're continuing a series that we began last week in Exodus, and this morning really is uh, a text with which all of us can identify if we just take a moment and consider it in some depth, because every one of us face times in our lives which can only be described as dramatic upheaval. In other words, you're heading along in life and then left turn and you end up in a place that you didn't anticipate. Some of you thought your retirement was secure and then there was a vote in England and poof, uh, you're not retiring after all. Some of you thought you'd be working and then poof, it's cancer or some other unanticipated menace and you're sidelined. You wanna work but you're not working. Or your job was outsourced to India or China or something like that. Some of you thought you'd grow old together and then suddenly it's an untimely death (laughs) or it's infidelity and it's over and you're alone. Some thought you'd stay in Seattle and now you're leaving. Some thought you'd just be a student in Seattle and you're still here 30 years later. Uh, Your kids move home (laughs) and then just when you adjust, they leave again. You're heading in a direction, and then you wake up one morning, and you're, you thought you'd be here, and you're here. How many identify with this in the room? Raise your hands. Good, I'm glad you're here this morning. This is what we're talking about, right? So it, it, this applies to all of us. <clears throat> Maybe in my own life, one of the most dramatic upheavals occurred when my wife and I left Los Angeles in 1984 and moved to Friday Harbor. I moved to Friday Harbor only because it was a six-month opportunity en route to Alaska, where I'd be teaching at Alaska Bible College, and six months actually turned into seven years, where I was a pastor on an island, and the problem for me was I was headed to a ministry with college students in Alaska, and in Friday Harbor, there are no college students. You turn 18, and you leave, and so I found myself with a heart and desire to minister to college students, and there were no college students in my world, and I don't like boats, and that was hard, too. So... Uh, there I am in a place I would never have chosen for a very long extended period of time. This is Moses in the desert. And it is a common pattern in our lives and in the scriptures as well. Watch this. It it occurs all over the Bible. Vision, death of a vision, resurrection of a vision on new ground. Vision, death of a vision, resurrection of a vision on new ground. That's what we're going to see this morning. Three chapters in Moses' life. And we'll begin with vision. Here's what you need to understand if you missed last week. Moses, born in Egypt, Jewish by blood, adopted into an Egyptian family, a power family, actually. We pick up the story, he's 40 years old. So we read in Acts, but turn to Exodus chapter 2. When we see Moses' vision, we begin with vision. Chapter 2, verse 11. So it came out in those days, Moses is 40 now. When he'd grown up, he went out to his brethren. Those are the Hebrews. Looked on their hard labor, saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So uh, he looked here, he looked there, made sure nobody was looking, and he killed the Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew. And then he buried him in the sand. So in Moses' mind, deliverance has begun right there. Then, verse 13, he went out the next day, two Hebrews are fighting each other, so he seeks to mediate It says, why are you striking your companion? And the man says, who made you a judge over me? Are you going to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses realizes that his plan has gone awry a little bit. And he says, surely the matter has become known. And when Pharaoh heard the matter, his, his father-in-law, uh, or his, his father, his adoptive father, when Pharaoh heard the matter, he tried to kill Moses. And Moses ran away. So here's the deal. Moses has a vision for justice in the midst of oppression. He does. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. It's in him. God put it there. It's good. And it's important for us in this time and place in history to be very careful that we don't desensitize our own hearts from vision that God has placed in our hearts. Vision always comes in our lives because there's a dissonance between what is and what could be, particularly between what is and what ought to be. And so when we live in a world of darkness, oppression, human trafficking, marriages lacking intimacy, when we raise our own children, we see them taking a course that they shouldn't take, never lose the vision. Vision's important. And so Moses here has vision. And it's important that we sensitize our hearts, especially in these days, because it's just another terror attack. It's just another shooting. It's just another refugee. It's just another homeless person. All children go bad. Whatever it is, it's easy to say, no, I'm giving up on the vision. And, and, and then we surrender. Moses didn't surrender. I love that. But for some of us in the room, actually, the problem starts right here. We've no vision. And it says in Proverbs, if you have no vision, it says where there is no vision. In Proverbs, it says, speaking to the collective, the people uh, perish, but uh, applied individually, what it means is that if there's no vision, then when we wake up in the morning, our lives are reduced to nothing more than the pursuit of personal peace and prosperity. And that's a very tiny way to live. And God has never called us to live uh, in, a, in, in a manner in which... The horizon is no larger than our backyard. (laughs) Never. Blessed, Abraham, why? To be a blessing. Blessed so that you can be a river of living water offering uh, thirst quenching life in a desperately thirsty world, in a desert. And so, Moses has vision, and that's good. We have vision, vision for intimacy and marriage. Vision for children, vision to make a difference at work, vision for ministry, vision for leadership, vision to write, vision to serve. In some way, we have vision. And the perception of Moses as a man of vision brings us to this critical point in the text, chapter 2, verse 12, where it says, he looked around to see if anybody was looking, and then he sees this Hebrew uh, uh, who's being oppressed by the Egyptian, bam, he kills the Egyptian, he buries him in the sand, and in Moses' mind, ah, that's it, deliverance has begun. I am going to free Israel from slavery one assassination at a time, right? It's going to happen. And so here's what Moses believed. He believed three things. First, he believes I'm the man to deliver Israel. Second, he believes now's the time. Third, he believes my courage will start a movement that will eventually lead to a collective uprising, you know, Arab Spring A. <laughs> and, and, He's only 33% right, right? One out of three, I'm the man. Is he the man? He is the man. Is this the time? This is not the time. Is this the way? This is not the way. He's the man. It's not the time. He's the man. It's not the way. And so because of this, we see that the Jews, A, are not responsive to his leadership. B, Pharaoh, his adoptive uh, grandfather, tries to kill him, and now he's forced to run for his life. And so he has a vision. And he begins to live into the vision, and then the vision stops, and he's on the run, and he finds himself living in the desert in the middle of nowhere. We can't stress this enough. In God's economy, if you learn nothing else, learn this this morning. God is not just concerned with the end. God is concerned with the means. Because how we get to where we're going is as much a testimony as where we're going. And this is counterintuitive in our culture Because we live in a kind of a decentralized culture where our bosses say to us, here's the vision, this is where I want you to be, and unless your boss is a micromanager, your boss says, just get there. I don't care how you get there. Get it done, right? And we are a get-or-done culture where we know where we need to go, and then we will go there. The saying from my generation, by hook or by crook, I don't even know where that comes from. But we're going to... Okay, all I need to know is what to do, and I'll do it. And here's God over and over again in the Bible, no. (laughs) Because I care as much about how you get there as that you get there. I care as much. Abraham and Isaac, right? It's not just have a baby. It's have a baby when you're 99, and your wife is 89. So that when you have a baby... No one will say, Look how virile Abraham is. No, no, the testimony is, Look what God did. Clearly, the means. We now know that God exists because of this supernatural means Joseph's rise to power. It's not just, You will rule over your brothers. Oh no, it's you'll have a dream, you'll tell your brothers, they'll hate you, they'll, they'll betray you, sell you as a slave, you'll be taken down to Egypt. There in Egypt, though you live faithfully, you'll be framed for sexual assault, tossed in prison and forgotten. And then when, when Pharaoh has a dream, years later, you'll interpret the dream and you'll go from forgotten prisoner, abandoned by your brothers to second in command and your brothers will come and bow down to you. No one makes that up. Right. In other words, the means is just as important as the end. Israel will be delivered, absolutely, but not by killing one person at a time. Rather, by an intervention that would lead Pharaoh's own people to say to their leader, this is the hand of God, let them go or we'll all be destroyed and Pharaoh will not just send them out, he will send them out overloaded with gold. <laughs> so that God cares not just that we get her done, God cares how and God cares when. God's idea has never been to ramrod our visions for the future into reality. Never. We lived in Friday Harbor, and after three years of living in Friday Harbor, and having this desire to minister to college students, I had a vision to uh, have a place where students could come and hang out with us in the mountains, and we would teach and do this kind of thing and and take them out in the wilderness because my wife loves that stuff. And so uh, we started looking for property in the mountains, and we found a little a little uh, half-built cabin outside of Leavenworth. And uh, uh, we, it was all we could afford. We could maybe host four people. But we were like this. We're out of here, man. I'm, at least I was that way. I'm fed up with Friday Harbor. We're gonna do this. We put an offer in on this property. The owner's, you know, sold. You wanna buy an unfinished cabin that sleeps four and run a ministry? <laughs> Fine, do it. And so... Uh, 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 Then the owner calls us uh, maybe a week after we'd signed the papers and says, you know, I told my grown children that I sold the property and they started to (laughs) cry. He says, would you mind if we withdrew the offer? And I said, I hate to see adults cry. (laughs) It's fine, it's fine. And so uh, the vision Gone, but not gone. Immediately, I said, i got to get out. i got to get off this island. And so I wrote <laughs> a letter to real estate agents in the Cascades from Billingham to Mount Rainier. And, and we're going to find a piece of property. Even though we don't have any money, we're going to find it. We're going to do it. And it's like I wrote the letter. And as soon as I wrote the letter, this is the deal. Conviction from the Holy Spirit, no. Let it go. And I, and I had to and I had to tear up the letter, and I had to pray, and I had to say, God, if you want to live in Friday Harbor forever, so be it. This is where I am. That God does this in our lives so that there can be means that gives testimony to God. A couple starts a ministry in Switzerland. They determine never to ask for money. Just pray. I know a ministry in Nepal that asks for prayer but never asks for money. So let me ask what this means for you. You have a vision for your marriage. Or maybe you have a vision to be married. You'll struggle with that. I mean, if you're single, you have a vision to be married. Uh, in our world, there are many means to find a spouse. And, and I can't tell you what the good means is and the bad means is. <laughs> I can't tell you that. But I can say this. God cares about the means. As so you need to prayerfully consider... That vision and the dissonance between where you are and there. You have a vision for your kids to walk with Christ, and they're not walking with Christ. What do you do? I mean, you could get manipulative. You could, get, you could go all guilt trip on your children, but is that, is that God's means? Or for your spouse to walk with Christ? Mind the means is all I'm saying here. You have a vision to change your workplace? Good goals sought in the power of the flesh never result in good fruit. So, how do you determine whether your means are of the flesh or of the spirit? Well, that's Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 says that as we mature, if we're walking in intimacy with Christ, then, then we know when the means are in dissonance with God's means. We know. And so, may you mature in Christ to the extent that when you begin on a path, may, maybe it's with your children, because this is where many of us who are parents in the room, you begin on a path with your children, and all of us struggle with this as parents. When do I speak? When do I remain silent? You see your child making a choice, and you think it's a wrong choice, and they're 30, right? How many have struggled with? I mean, your parents in the room, and you're like, I don't know when to say something. Is it? Is this, And it's overwhelmingly tempting to go, I'm going to fix you, right? And hopefully, this is the Holy Spirit who may say something to you like this: Shut up. Or there are times when some of us are too passive and God may say, stand in front of the door and tell your son, let's have a hard conversation. Either way, but the point is we need the Holy Spirit to know because God has a means, not just an end. MLK said this, uh, Martin Luther King, (laughs) returning violence for violence multiplies violence adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. He was minding the means. It's significant. So Moses initially has a vision, wrong time, wrong means. So that leads to the second chapter in his journey, the death of a vision. Surely matters become known, When Pharaoh heard it, verse 15, he tried to kill Moses. Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh, settled in the land of Midian, sat down by a well. The priests of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water, fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Shepherds came to drive away the daughters from the water. Moses stood up, helped them, watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, why have you come back so soon? They said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hands of the shepherds and he watered our flocks. Our work is done. He said to his daughters, well, oh, where is the man? Why'd you leave him? Invite him for a little hospitality. Have him come have something to eat. So they went back, one of them at least, God Moses. Not only was Moses willing to dwell with them, verse 21, but he married one of their daughters, Zipporah. She gave her to a son, Named him Gershom. He said, I've been a soldier a foreign land. And he settles down in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, and he begins to uh, raise his family and shepherd a flock. That's Moses. So here, let's recap this little story we just heard. A, Moses' desire for justice while he's in the wilderness remains. He doesn't lose his vision. It's just a different context now. His passion for justice and his kindness opens the door of hospitality for him. He stays with Ruel, Ruel has a daughter that he likes. He marries her. Uh, He becomes a shepherd. He has a child. The child uh, reveals a lot about Moses' mindset because he names the child Gershom, which means I've been a stranger in a strange uh, strange land. In other words, watch this. Here's Moses. Has God provided for him? Absolutely. He's in the desert. He has a family. He's He's raising a child. He's shepherding a flock. Every need is met, but... Here's the question Is this what Moses had in mind for his life? And here's the answer no. <laughs> Whatever he had in mind for his life when he struck down the Egyptian, it was not this. And this is the way of it over and over again in the Bible. Vision is quickly followed by death of a vision. It happens all the time in the scriptures. I thought life would unfold this way. I did this and this which I thought was a step to this instead led me completely over here and I find myself now in a situation not of my own choosing. I would never have wanted to live in Yakima (laughs) or wherever it is that God has called you. Yeah, all through the Bible. Abraham, you'll have a child, and then he sets out to have a child. And the child that he has, God says, no, not that child, another child. Death of a vision. He didn't plan on waiting 25 years. Joseph didn't plan on imprisonment, and abandonment, and betrayal, and and being framed for sexual assault. David, anointed as king, suddenly faces The reality that the existing king is threatened by said anointing, tries to kill David twice, tries to assassinate him. David's on the run. He's hiding in caves. He's pretending to be insane. Whatever he envisioned after he'd been anointed, it was not that he'd be living in a cave. Peter had a vision of being fiercely faithful to God, and then he denies Christ and runs away and says, I'm done, I'm going fishing. Whatever he thought about the kingdom, when he said to Jesus, I will follow to the ends of the earth, he didn't think he'd become a fisherman again. Jesus, vision of being highly exalted, and said he's hanging on a cross. Paul, with respect to various visions of how his ministry would unfold in his life, never anticipated being sent to the Gentiles. He never thought it. (laughs) So I thought it would be this way. I took a step toward this, and the step I took precipitated a course of action whereby now I'm in an entirely different context. Been there? (laughs) All of us. Broken engagement. Infidelity, cancer, job placement, downsizing, early death of your spouse. What's going on? Well, here's the thing. Understand that death of a vision is important and it's, it's in every person in the Bible, I'm convinced, every person faces it. Why? Because there are things learned in unchosen places, hear me, that can only be learned in unchosen places. There's things learned in unchosen places that, are, that can only be learned there. And I call those times and places in the meantime. I think I'm made to play football, but I don't get drafted. By the way, hypothetical. <laughs> I think I'm made to run, tear my Achilles. Not so hypothetical. I think I'm made for marriage, lonely, still single. I think I'm made for leadership, nobody's asking me. I've got my MDiv, no job. I think I'm born to change the racist policies of America and instead I find myself in a Birmingham jail. (laughs) I think I'm made for ministry to college students and I live in a place where when you're 18 the only thing to do is leave. What do I do in the meantime? It's really important, the meantime. We better learn our lessons in the meantime. Because if I don't learn my lessons in the meantime, I get stuck in the meantime forever. Either because I become disillusioned or I become cynical. That's what happens in the meantime often. Disillusionment. Oh, thanks, God. You know, this is is what I get for following you. And then I become bitter. Yeah, yeah. Try and do God's will. Look what happens. He sends you where you don't want to go or cynicism, both of which lead to disengagement. And I find myself now with a shrunken world where all I care about is my own personal peace and comfort and prosperity, it's not enough. I'll never be happy there. So I have to avoid cynicism and disillusionment and bitterness, and yet, then what do I do in the meantime? And there's two things we'll address here. What do you do in the meantime during this season, death of a vision? Don't lose your passion and let go of your plans. Those are the two things you have to do in the meantime. Don't lose your passion and let go of your plans. Don't lose your passion. In other words, when Moses is in the desert, he saves the daughters of this desert priest from harassment by some shepherds. It's very clear to me that Moses still has a heart for justice. When David's been anointed as king, but he's on the run because the existing king is trying to kill him, He keeps on loving God, keeps on writing songs, keeps on advocating for Israel, keeps on choosing the high road. (laughs) When Joseph is betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave, uh, and, 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 and then seduced by the ruler's wife and framed for sexual assault, he continues to choose to do the right thing even when he's forgotten in prison. When MLK is in prison, he does the right thing. When Sophie Scholl having distributed uh, uh, literature in Munich advocating the overthrow of the Reich as a college student in 1943 and she's arrested and she's under interrogation she says the right thing even though she didn't think that distribution of literature would result eventually in her arrest and execution. She did the right thing. She never lost her passion. Viktor Frankl can teach us a great deal here. He wrote a book entitled Man's Search for Meaning, a therapist who was imprisoned, taken to Auschwitz with his wife. His wife was executed. He managed to live through World War II, then went on uh, to teach and write books afterwards, including the most important book that he wrote, in my opinion, Man's Search for Meaning, about the lessons that he learned while in this period of life where I find myself exactly where I never thought I'd be. And this is what he wrote. He said, everything can be taken from a person except one thing. The last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way, that can never be taken from any of you. Look, you don't choose cancer, you don't choose infidelity, you don't choose a broken marriage, you don't choose the untimely death of a child, you don't choose unemployment, but what you can choose is how I will live into the unchosen moment. I can choose that. I can choose joy. I can choose to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I can choose to pour out my heart to God. I can choose to continue to advocate for the vision God has given me even though in the moment it's not a context I would ever have chosen. I can choose. And a lesson that at least I needed to learn in Friday Harbor is that God is far less concerned with context for ministry than I am. (laughs) That wherever God sends me, there are people who need to hear Christ. And so I need to let go of my demands that I be in a place that suits my desires. And instead decide that every day, wherever God has placed me in that day, that's the day that God has me there. I'll serve according to the strength that God has given me in that context. I need to learn to let go. When we're... Here's Frankel again. When we're no longer able to change a situation, it's because we are being challenged to change ourselves. True? Absolutely. So don't lose your passion for children who walk with Christ, for a desire to marry, for a vocational desire. Don't lose your passion. But on the other hand, almost paradoxically, let go of your plans. Let go of your plans. So here's Moses. He's aware enough to fight uh, uh, the the shepherds who are harassing some some women. Later, after marrying and having a child, he's out in the desert. He's aware enough to see that this uh, bush isn't burning up. Uh, In other words... What you see of Moses' life in the desert is this. Moses has learned, and we'll particularly see this next week, he's learned to to settle in and be where he is all there. Ecclesiastes 9 says it this way. Whatever your hand finds to do today, whatever your hand finds to do today, what should you do? Do today with all your might. And I'll just observe here and note that because we live in a particular culture in which we find ourselves, uh, that's difficult to do. Uh, we find ourselves in a situation not of our choosing and overwhelmingly in American culture because we have means and resources what we try to do when we find ourselves in a situation not of our choosing is to get out of the situation And all my energy then is invested in how can I how can I move back over here? I want to get back here to right where I should be. And and now I'm no longer living in the present, but I'm I'm seeking to escape the present. I'm living in the future, or I'm living with regret in the past. And this is the death blow to the transforming work that God wants to do in your life now. Uh, My wife and I moved to Los Angeles in 1982, even though when I proposed in 1979, my wife said, I'll live anywhere in the world except Los Angeles. And then we moved to Los Angeles. (laughs) It was very difficult. Initially, it was very hard. Our car was stolen. Somebody broke into the apartment two doors down and ripped stuff off from an 87-year-old lady. There was heat. It was so hot and our air conditioner broke that we we eat with candles in the evening. We came home from work. The candles were like (laughs) bowed down, kind of. Uh, you could have put the roast in the apartment, I feel like. I don't know. It's a smog. The, the apartment manager was crazy. So here's the deal. There's a crisis moment where we're like this. Do we want to be here? No. But it, there's, there's an important second question. Are we here? Yeah, we're here. So if we're here, what are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. Thank you, God, that we're here. Wouldn't have chosen it but we're here. Thank you. So may we learn everything here that you want to teach us. God, what, like, what is it that you want us to learn here? We, we, because we want to learn. Show us. Teach us now what we need to learn. You know, there's something, ma- I don't want to say magical because that sounds magical, but there's something amazing about that prayer, right? And, and what happened was immediately we began to enjoy living in Los Angeles. We to, Immediately. We went to Griffith Observatory and we were like, this is amazing. You can see the stars and we're up here on a hill and we went to the ocean. Oh, salt water. Oh, it's not so bad. Yeah, we enjoy that and, and made some friends in our church. And, our ne- you know, we live in this little apartment complex and we decided, well, eh, let's get to know the neighbors. I find one of my neighbors has a number here. He's, he, was, uh, he was in the camps in Germany, Jewish. And I said, hey, I'm taking Hebrew. He says, I'll teach you Hebrew. <laughs> I know Hebrew. So we'd walk around this tiny little swimming pool And he would teach me the alphabet and the grammar. And we'd read out of the Hebrew Bible together while he told me stories of being in the camps. Where do you get that? Only in the desert. But only after we determine, this is where we are. So thank you, God, and help us to find here everything you want to give us here and help us to learn here everything you have for us to learn here and whether here is a day or three years or the rest of my life, I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. We need to learn to live fully in the present moment no matter what happens with a vote in England and your 401k. No no matter what happens to your health, no matter what happens to your employment, no no matter who wins in November, no matter matter your financial questions, no matter your relational questions, no matter your vocational questions, your geographical questions, here's the thing. Where you are today, use your gifts to bless others. Love your neighbors, work out, live faithfully. We need this more than anyone because it's so very easy to live either in the present or the past, uh, excuse me, in the future or the past rather than the present. We need to make peace with where God has placed us. Even if where God has placed us is a different context because the vision, God's not done with your vision, but the context is different now. And this will lead then, ultimately, to vision. Moses will go back, but he'll go back now on new ground. And here's what I mean by new ground. Moses will go now and he'll serve. We'll see this next week particularly in kind of a panel discussion that we're doing for the 4th of July weekend. Hope you join us. But this what we'll see. Moses will go back, but he'll go back now not on the ground of, of, you know, ambition and anger, but on the ground of obedience. I love that. In other words, when God calls him out of the desert and sends him back to Egypt, he's actually become content enough in the the desert that he's not even eager to go. (laughs) But he goes. And so now he's serving God. Why? Out of, watch this, obedience. Obedience. What does Jesus say? If you love me, you'll work as hard as you can to change the world. No. This is Jesus. If you love me, you will obey me. And so when God calls me into the desert, I'll go. (laughs) And when God calls me back into Egypt, I'll go. And I'll learn to find joy and live as a person of hope in whatever context God finds, because in just the right time, God will change my context. When God wants to change my context and allow my vision to to, to come to fruition in a way that's more in accordance with my own heart's desires. When God wants to do that, God will do that. At just the right time, Christ died. In the fullness of time, Christ came. In the fullness of time, Moses returned. In the fullness of time, Jeremiah was called to ministry. In the fullness fullness of time, uh, Malachi, you know, rose up and brought revival. In the fullness of time, God has for you what God has for you. And today, wherever God has for you, whatever God has for you today, learn that, live that, be that. We, because all of us face it, vision, death of vision, rebuilding a vision on new ground. And this is the story of our lives. So as we close this morning, I'm just gonna ask a question. What's your desert? Like, what are you waiting for God to do? A work in your children? A work in your marriage? A vocational work? Can I just encourage you to pour your heart out to God? Because all of us face dissonance between where we are and where we want to be. In some areas of our lives, we face this dissonance. Pour your heart out to God, and then purpose today to learn all that God has to teach you here in the desert. And in God's fullness of time, God will take you to the next chapter. A vision still, but resurrected on new ground. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can look at the life of Moses and see in his story hints of our own story. I pray that you'd teach us now and shape us. And as we think about in our own lives, desert and broken dreams and unfulfilled desires, would you meet us right there now as our shepherd and send us out as people of hope even though we're living in the desert. Well, thank you. In the name of Christ, we pray depends